Do you remember what it was like to be a child, to sneak around your home when mom or dad wasn't looking and uh, taking maybe some chocolate or candy from the cupboard? It kind of had that excited but naughty feeling at the same time, kind of like, hey, this could be worth it if I don't get caught. If I get caught, totally not worth it. But if I don't get caught, this candy is going to taste really good. (laughs) Unfortunately, I think we kind of look at sin with those kind of goggles sometimes. That's not that big of a deal if it's a small sin or if nobody really is going to get hurt by it. It's okay. But what we're going to find here in the next uh, few chapters, 22, 23, 24, is actually what sin does is it kills. It destroys. It is a nasty ugly thing. Uh, Good to see you all today, by the way. Uh, We are in chapter 22. We are getting close to the end. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but when we first started this, I said that we are doing this. We're going through Luke uh, just to kind of go through this together to learn from one another. And I am not a Luke expert. I never claimed to be, and I still am not. The more I'm reading Luke, the more I realize I don't know nearly enough about this gospel, uh, nor do I know nearly enough about Jesus. And The way that I felt then, being the one that was leading this, um, not knowing enough, that still exists. But even more so, um, when I'm looking at chapter 22, 23, and 24, I'll be honest, I was tempted to not have any kind of commentary and just read the chapter. Uh, I figured you all could probably do that, though, on your own, but I didn't really want to do the commentary because how do you do this justice? How can you really talk about uh, Jesus' time with his disciples in the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. Uh, how do you talk about his crucifixion and the resurrection? How really can you do it justice? And so, again, I'm throwing this out there just so you know. I won't. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do uh, anywhere close of what I wish that I could do with this text because it's so amazing. So maybe you should go back after this is over and just reread uh, Luke 22, 23, and 24 to yourself. Uh, forget the commentary um, and, and just see what the Lord has to say through it. Uh, but nonetheless, here we go. Uh, chapter 22, which starts with a, a betrayal. And uh, verse 3, it says, Satan entered Judas uh, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the 12, right? And that's maybe our first temptation is to say, see, it was Satan. It's not Judas's fault. Satan did it. And we might say the same thing for ourselves. It's not our fault when we sin. Satan's fault, right? He's the one that did it. Well, he is the tempter. But also the war isn't just against Satan. It's against our flesh that enjoys doing these things that we're not supposed to be doing. It's also a battle against the world that has fallen and it's corrupted too. But while it might be Satan that leads us, which I don't know if it's him all the time. It might just be us in our sinful flesh. We're still the ones that are responsible, aren't we? And so is Judas. But I think it's important, though, to note uh, that after they had this conversation, uh, after he decides to betray Jesus with the chief, uh, the chief priests, uh, verse 6 is very important. So he consented, that's Judas, and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in where? The absence of a crowd. See, they're going to have to be really sneaky about this whole thing. Everything that has to do with Jesus' arrest and his so-called trial is completely unorthodox. They, they would not have done this this way with anybody else. It's a trial that would be during the day. It would be out in the open. 
They would give witnesses plenty of opportunities to come and proclaim um, the things that they saw the individual do or didn't do if they thought he was innocent. But this isn't what they're going to do. They're not looking to have this kind of a trial. Uh, They're looking to have Jesus alone with the kind of witnesses that they're going to conjure up that will speak out against Jesus. They're not looking for the ones that will say that he is innocent and talk about the good things that they've done. Everything here is underhanded because the crowd loves Jesus. If they try to arrest Jesus in front of the crowd, there's going to be an uproar. So the Pharisees are going to get what they want, right? They're going to get Jesus on their terms. But what's very interesting about all this is that haven't we been talking a lot about money Not we, but Jesus has mentioned it. Not that the money is bad, but of course, the love of the money is bad. There's this warning, you know, watch out for this money. Don't don't get into this trap. But what is it then that we see with Judas? Why is it that, that he wants to give Jesus over? With some money, right? They agreed to give him money. Just goes to show you that money can really be a thing to to drive you to do something crazy. I mean, it's amazing that he would do this, but let's, uh, let's be um, honest with ourselves. Judas betrays Jesus, but so do we, right? So do we. Uh, we bear the name Christian. We know our calling. We know what our good Lord has done for us. And yet we still, what? Betray him. Betray his name that has been put on us in our baptism. Well, anyway, we move on. Uh, The Passover comes. Uh, Jesus has this all planned out. He knows exactly what he's going to do, right? Go find the individual uh, who's going to have this uh, upper room furnished for us. And uh, we're going to have this time of of Passover because that's what you do. You eat the Passover, right? You have this time of remembrance when you recall what God did for the people of Israel. And this was an important event. It's one that should have been celebrated where God took the people who were enslaved in Egypt, no one knew anything about in all of the world, insignificant. And you see God talking about this throughout all the the Old Testament. Remember when I did this, I took you when you really weren't anybody. You weren't a nation. You weren't a people. But he took them. He made them into something. Of course, we had all the plagues in Egypt, right? And finally, the plague of the firstborn, where uh, the lamb was slaughtered, the blood was put on the doorpost. Death came by. It took the firstborn of everyone and everything in Egypt, uh, but not for those who had the blood on the doorpost. They were passed over, right? And this was all about the deliverance. God delivered his people, delivered them uh, from the Egyptians so that they could go into the promised land. Now, this is going to be another kind of a Passover. This is really important. Jesus himself says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then after that, that's when he's going to uh, take uh, the bread and the wine and uh, speak those words that in our uh, Lutheran tradition we know very well, right? From uh, Luke's account, he says this, This is my body, which is given for you. Uh, Do this in remembrance of me. And I'm not going to get completely into the theology here behind that, but notice he says this is. It doesn't say symbolic. This is a reminder. He says, do this in remembrance of me. But he says, this is. This is my body, which I give for you. And you're able to consume it here in this meal. 
And then likewise, afterward, he takes the cup, says, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. So what the disciples are able to do is they're able to take part of this great feast in which Jesus says, what? This is my body. This is my blood. Why is that prevalent? Well, we don't see much Lamb of God talk uh, in the uh, book of Luke. We see it in other places like the book of John, where John the Baptist sees Jesus walking. And what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we have that great connection to that Passover where uh, the lamb was slaughtered and it was used for the freeing of the people from slavery, from tyranny. But this one's going to be different. It's not about persecution. It's not about tyranny. It's not about slavery in terms of a, a physical earthly sense. But this is about a spiritual slavery. This is about sin. This is about how we have been impacted by sin. We've been enslaved in all of our lives, and we would be in all eternity. But Jesus says what? This is my body. This is my blood. We know from the other texts that it's for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, This is why Jesus has given his body. He is freeing us his body and blood and us, so that our sins could be wiped away. This is just absolutely incredible, an incredible meal. And I just love how Jesus says, I desired to eat this with you. He's longed for this, to give us this release. And, And we take part in this meal when we have it in our congregational settings. Christ's body and blood, a foretaste of the feast to come, which is exactly what the disciples are eating. Now, to be sure, they don't fully get it. They don't fully really even understand what Jesus is saying and the suffering that he has been talking about all along. They probably think things are going to continue on, even though Jesus has been talking about it. They don't get it, but they're also not supposed to, right? Because they probably would have prevented him from doing this or tried to. But what is interesting is that when Jesus gave this beautiful speech, right, the institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, this is my body given for you. Uh, This is my blood of the covenant. It's poured out for you, right? It's all about uh, the gift that God is giving, right? Jesus is putting himself last for the sake of those who receive it. But then what happens? A dispute breaks out amongst the disciples as to who's the greatest. It's like, they don't get it. We just have celebrated this Passover feast, which is what God has done. The focus is on God and his great work, but you all want to know who's going to be the greatest among you. Hey, this isn't for you. These are for people who are fighting over power. For you, it's about service. It's about putting other people first, which is exactly what Jesus is going to do as he's going to show it to the extreme uh, by giving himself on the cross. Now, an interesting conversation takes place between Jesus and uh, Simon Peter, where Jesus is telling Simon that, Well, Satan is going to try to have his way with you, but I've been praying for you, right? Interceding for you. And Peter's response is, what? No, I'm going to go with you to prison. I'm going to go with you to death. That's when Jesus, the great prophet, uh, gives the the wonderful uh, foreknowledge that he, Peter, is going to uh, deny Jesus three times uh, before the rooster crows in the morning. Um. But what does Jesus kind of do? He reassures Peter, I pray that you may not fall. And when you have turned again, that you'll be able to strengthen your brothers. And see, 
We know Peter's going to fall, don't we? We know he's going to mess up. He's going to have those opportunities uh, to, to say, yes, I know who Jesus is and this is wrong. These are the great things that he has done. Proclaim his good name. But three times he says, I don't know the guy. He even says it to a child. Like what kind of a threat is a child going to do? But this is how scared he is when it all goes down. Peter's going to mess up. But this isn't going to put Peter out of God's grace. I mean, God's grace is so much greater than Peter's sin. And I hope that's speaking out there to somebody who's listening today. Yes, we need to know our sin. We need to see it. We need to confess it. We are sinners. Absolutely. But God's grace is so much greater than whatever sin you're thinking about right now. Should you stop it? Yeah, absolutely. Turn away from it. It doesn't do good. We see what Judas's sin does, right? I mean, it's not a good thing. It kills, it destroys our sin. When we sin, we kill our relationships that we have with other individuals. We, we kill things by sinning. Even if we don't always see the results, it's true. It's not fun. It's not good. But what we do in destroying things, God is able to make alive again by his grace. Peter is not beyond the grace of God. And neither are you. So when we get to come to the meal and celebrate the Lord's Supper, Jesus does it with you and I, who are sinners, who would betray him too, who have betrayed him too, and who deny Jesus by the way that we live and by the way we maybe ignore his word or fail to share it. But his grace is still there, still present. He desires to share it with you. His body, his blood, given and broken, shed just for you. You're definitely not beyond that grace. His grace is greater than your sin. Our God is victorious. Well, as we move on, we see that uh, this wonderful meal does not end the way that the disciples would have wanted it to end, but it certainly ends the way that Jesus knows it's going to end, right? Where things are going to have to be fulfilled. You can tell things are changing when Jesus changes what he said to them. You know, he sent them out two by two and, hey, don't worry about what you're going to bring. Those will be provided for you. But now he says, hey, get ready for the swords. Um, it's not going to be easy for you. There's going to be persecution. People are going to actually try to hurt you and kill you. And yes, eventually that is going to happen for uh, most, if not all, of the apostles somewhere down the line. Uh, but uh, the time of, of peace isn't really there for them. It's, it's going to be struggles here. And having all this trouble on the horizon, you'd think that would give them the opportunity to uh, to stop and, and pray and be fervent in their prayers. But instead, Jesus finds them sleeping on the job when they're in the Mount of Olives. I'm sorry, that just describes me to a T, right? No, not that I'm sleeping in my office, but maybe I'm idle. And maybe I, I do sleep instead of uh, being on the edge of my seat, thinking about what it is that uh, I could be doing to glorify God or what it is that he's called me to do. But while they're resting, thinking everything's going to be okay, here comes Judas with just a kiss. Uh, does he betray Jesus? And Jesus knows that these people have come for him. Uh, the disciples get mad. They lop off somebody's ear. <laughs> and Jesus, knowing full well what they're going to do to him, he heals the guy anyway. 
knowing that this guy was coming to arrest him, was coming to crucify him, coming to kill him, but Jesus doesn't want his blood. (laughs) Jesus heals him because the time has come. After that is when we get into Peter actually denying Jesus. And then this mockery of a trial begins. Right? It doesn't happen at daybreak. It's, it's in the evening. They hold him captive. They're mocking him. They're beating him. They're trying to tell him to prophesy when they're blindfolding him. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. You don't treat somebody this way, right? There's no innocent until proven guilty. No, not even close, right? They've already decided the verdict of Jesus. They are going to make him pay for the way that he made them look in front of the other crowds. Now daytime comes. Finally, the daytime comes and um, still isn't much of a, a procedural trial here. Jesus goes before the chief priests and the scribes, right? These are all the people that don't like him. They lead him to their council, not really to the authority in terms of governance. If you're the Christ, tell us. He says, why? You're not going to believe me if I do tell you. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. That's a promise for us. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said, you say that I am. And they said, we don't need any further testimony. We've heard all that we've needed. So he claims that he's the son of God. And for them, that means he must be put to death because he doesn't fit their understanding of what the Messiah is supposed to be. They've made that judgment. Jesus is not the one. But for us, we say, thank God that Jesus is the one because that body, that blood was shed for us. All right, folks. Uh, I wish I could have said more. I definitely probably should have. Uh, Go back and reread this uh, after we're totally done, okay? Body and blood of Jesus for you, for sinners. So thankful. See you tomorrow.